Welcome, everybody, back to the Rooted and Edified show. I'm your host, Kat Elias, along with your co-host, Manny Elias. And you are joining us for a special, special episode today, Holy Transformed. And for this special, special episode, we have two special, amazing guests, Darren and Rhoda Mel. And we want to give you a special happy dance for you. Woo! You are going to want to pay attention for every minute of the show. You're not going to want to miss out on anything. It's an amazing testimony that they are bringing today of how they were wholly transformed. So before we tell you a little bit more about Darren and Rhoda, I want to remind you about a few things about this podcast. This podcast is part of Beautifully Rooted, which is a Christian mental health and education corporation. And also this podcast, The Rooted and Edified Show, is a fun-loving, Bible-believing, no-facade, conservative Christian worldview show for both men and women who want to hear about the four T's, which would be testimonies, topics, talents, and theology, of course. And we want to help you grow deeper in your relationship with Christ and more mature along your walk. And if we can get a few laughs on the side, absolutely, we are so happy with that. As a reminder, we put out both an audio podcast and a video one. So whichever is your preference, there's something available to you. And if you really like today's show, you got something out of it, and you want to give back in some way and help our support our podcast, we would love for you to connect with us and check out our website, which is www.beautifullyrooted.com, which is spelled B-E-Y-O-U. Now let's jump in and let me introduce you to our two amazing guests, Darren and Rhoda Mel. Let me tell you a little bit about them and they'll jump in to tell you more about themselves. Reverend Darren Mel was previously a gay identified man who is now a licensed minister, president of Voice of the Voiceless, which is a 501c3 ministry that amplifies and defends the voices of the ex-LGBTQ community. He's also an associate director of Agape First Ministries, another 501c3 ministry that equips the church to effectively minister in the LGBTQ space to help families and individuals overcome in Jesus. Now, Rhoda Mel, she's an amazing woman. She identified as a queer woman prior. She was a successful actress and a small business owner in the Twin Cities. She is a student enrolled in the Unity Movement Institute and has helped set up their second Hope House Women's Home. Rhoda also, in her spare time, is a homeschool teacher, an educator, and tutor to her children and those in the community. Now, Darren and Rhoda have a powerful story of transformation in the Lord, which you will hear today. We're so excited. They've been married for 17 years. And have this year, 17 years, right? And two children, ages eight and seven. Together, Darren and Rhoda have just birthed Made Free Ministries. And their website is www.madefreeministries.com. Now, that was an amazing, amazing introduction to who you are. But that's probably only a small snippet of who you are. So can you let us know a little bit more about yourselves and your ministries? Yeah, absolutely. As you were saying, Kat, I was gay identified for about 10 years coming out of high school. I gave my life to Christ. I was attacked by demons and was kind of like the demonized man. I was involved in the occult. And my friends spoke about how Jesus set people free of that. And so I came to Jesus to be set free and save my life from attacks of demons. And I went to church and went to a youth group and to church service and started to grow in the faith. And I got to Romans and realized that I was a sinner. <laughs> and with Romans and Corinthians understanding that the way that I was acting out towards men was homosexuality. And so I came out to my youth leader and said that I was struggling with homosexuality. And 
they said that they would, you know, help me with that. Unfortunately, my church didn't have much knowledge in the space. Uh, this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so the only thing that was available was an out program outside of the church. And so I went to a dinner, one of their events, and it just went over my head. I didn't, I didn't understand when a man and a woman got up and <laughs> said, oh, I used to be gay and I used to be a lesbian and we're married now. And Jesus set us free of homosexuality and we're not gay anymore. Like, I hardly even knew what it meant to be gay. And so it just didn't connect. I ended up joining a street ministry for three years, a traveling evangelist. I did ministry with him. And in that ministry, I started hooking up with guys and um, bringing them to the ministry <laughs> to do street evangelism. And he sat me down for dinner and he says, you know, Darren, I love you like a son, but you can't live as a gay man and serve Jesus. You have to choose. And I said, well, I choose Jesus. And so I put homosexuality kind of on the shelf at that time. I quit going to the bars and experimenting with that side of life and worked ministry until he shut it down. He switched from ministry into focusing on his kids. He had some kids to raise and um, so that the age that they needed their dad. And so I kind of moved up to Minneapolis or to the Twin Cities. I lived in a small town, Minnesota at the time. I moved up to the Twin Cities. And then without him there and without my church, I ended up getting in the gay lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's several things that happened over time, but it, it ended with a scare with HIV and, and then deciding, you know what, I'm going to try to settle down with one person. The first guy that I dated as a gay Christian, if you will, him and I had broken up quite a while earlier, but he had introduced me to Rhoda. He threw some several after parties for the theater that she was in. She was in Margolis Brown Theater and he would throw the after parties and they're really good parties. You yeah. know, it was clean. It wasn't bad it was or anything. Yeah, it was really, it was a sober party. And every time we'd play games, Rhoda and I would get on the same, you know, he'd number us off and Rhoda and I would always be together to do whatever game we were playing. Or picked out of the hat. Yeah, it just picked out of the hat kind of thing. And so, you know, I called, I said, that's a God thing, you know? And so I got to know Rhoda, but of course I'm dating a guy. So I know her as just an actress and she knows me as a gay guy. Just a famous actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, in the Twin Cities, yeah. She was in in the theater group that everybody's like, Ooh, the Margolis Brown group, you know, <laughs> they were, they were way up there. And so, you know, she was just really fun. She was really just, when you see her, you know, you know, it's the joy of the Lord. I didn't know that at the time, but being the life of the party and happy and just, you know, she knows how to have a good time. <laughs> and so that's how I met her initially. And then wrote, how'd you get to that point? To the point that we met? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had moved to Minnesota from Columbus, Ohio, where I was born and raised. So I was close to being 25, 26 years old and really excited about my venture from kind of a smaller city and really looking forward to growing in my career as a performer. So from probably the age of 10 to the age of 22, I studied ballet, modern and jazz and enjoyed a lot of time in the ballet, really like living out my dream of wanting to be a performer. And I found such a a pleasure in point shoes and <laughs> tights and a tutu. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, and then I just really loved sharing my um, love for dance with other girls that were also in the studio. And so I learned how to teach and 
do things like that. And I'm just having a, a lot of fun. But then the point shoes kind of like led me to um, a shorter ballet career. And I decided to hang those up. Then my next choice was to pursue mime with Marcel Marceau. And um, I had a friend, a really close friend who was like a brother to me. And um, he'd been a, a mime and studied with Marceau for a long time. And so he was like, Rhoda, I think you would absolutely love this. And so kind of like with some bet with some shame, I was like, well, I'll try it. I mean, Marceau is a master after all, but really mimes are not just not it. Well, little did I know that like all the questions I had at the ballerina were really mime questions and the Lord just met me there in a special way. I learned a lot about how to make something out of nothing, make visible in the invisible and the invisible visible. And, and that was a really special revealing of the Lord's spirit to me that was very personal. And he continued to just show himself to me that way. Just to jump back really quickly, I gave my heart to Christ when I was five. So as one of like a, a child, you know, believing person, holding close to childlike faith, knowing that the Bible it teaches really early, you know, teaches about the treasure it is to have childlike faith. And I grew up in a Christian home and I went to a Christian school and pretty much grew up in a religion, you know, with the, with the knowledge of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I did come to Jesus out of relationship and understanding sin and the fear of God and holiness, uh, which I believe is what's kept me all these years, no matter what choices I've made. Um, the Lord has held me and has not released his constraints off of me, but has kept me within the guardrails. And um, no matter what choices I've made, whether that be performing or moving or whatever, um, rebelling or <laughs> falling away from the Lord or not falling away from the Lord. He's always kept me just, he's a faithful father. Amen. I ended up like pursuing the career in, in the performing arts by making a choice to move to Minnesota. I think another thing that spurred me on wanting to pursue my dreams was the fact that my, the, the Christian upbringing that I had been in with my family, they had decided, my parents decided to divorce after being married for 22 years. And then my brother, I'm the oldest. So that goes, my brother's next. He, uh, at the age of 18, decided to, at the same time that my parents divorced, everything just kind of went crazy like a pinball machine. And um, we were taught to that you don't have sex outside of marriage, just the classic traditional Christian values. But all of that went haywire. So my brother and my sister both went, you know, off went off the rails. And my whole family just kind of went berserk. And it really threw me. Cause I'm like, what is this about? Is God even real? Like, did we grow up in a, I don't know, kind of like sheltered, you know, in this environment and just wanting to spread my wings and go further, but not really leave God, just go further, like whatever that meant. So having to trade, I decided to chase my dreams and um, left my, I just said goodbye to my family for a little while. And I'm going to go to Minnesota. And I did, I got accepted to, train of the Margolis School of Acting and they um, their basis of it, it is really rooted in mime and it used all of my dance career. So there was a lot of things that just were like pulling me to go in that direction. And a lot of my friends that I had made that were studying with Marceau also decided to move at the same time. So it just felt like this was the call in my life this is what I was supposed to do. And so I followed my heart and I went with it. I trained for three or four years with Margolis and I performed and I got to do really fun things at the big 
theaters here, like the Guthrie and, and I was just really like on cloud nine, <laughs> but I still had like this hole in my heart looking for people to belong to, especially since my family, it just felt super disillusioned and displaced. But when you come to Minnesota, when you come to Minneapolis, you're in a twin cities, you're in a big city, different than being in a small city and it exposed to a lot of things. So I loved being with my theater friends and I loved exploring and performing and rehearsing and writing stories together. And then I, um, I wasn't really involved much in a church. That was probably a big mistake. I was going to, I made my first major mess up in the faith when I heard the pastor talk about how homosexual, how God hates gays. And that's exactly the ter- the words that were used. I made a judgment against the pastor in that statement. And that was happened, actually happened. That sermon actually happened on the day that I did bring one of my friends from the restaurant who was a gay man. And I just I couldn't know. I couldn't reconcile this, this love, this, this lack of love sort of thing. Cause I think I believed it, uh, something out of the Bible that wasn't necessarily scriptural that, you know, God loves you and he loves you no matter what. And I just wasn't mature enough to be able to understand what the pastor was talking about. And so I I got really angry and I left the church and I apologized to my friend and he was really hurt as well. And so I trans, I took that all in his pain. And then after that, I just held that in my heart and I quit going to church after that. That was the last service that I attended and I didn't go anywhere else. And then after that, things just seemed to quickly spiral and I was waiting tables. Um, it became a professional server and I also taught dance lessons. I taught swimming lessons. I love kids and I love to teach and just play. And so I was provided for in the sense of the workforce, but I really had this big hole in my heart. And I just really thought it was because I wanted to, I needed to belong to people. Well, in theater, there's lots of gay people. (laughs) And in um, the hospitality industry and the restaurant industry, there's lots of gay people as well. So I just kind of thought, hmm, this must be who I am. I'm starting to feel like maybe this, this might be my people, you know? So I ended up needing to, um, I wanted to rehearse more and perform more. So I made the decision to go ahead and start my own company. So then I became in charge of my own time, my own money, also my own world and write my own rules. And so I started a business almost by accident. It was a house cleaning business and it became very successful. And that was also seemingly surprising. I didn't expect to be able to run a city recognized business that was written up. We were written up often in the local paper and stuff with praise and lots of clients came and lo and behold, I ended up having a lot of LGBT people work for me as well. Long story short, kind of like fast forward, I ended up connecting to Darren through this because my, we shared a common friend who we went to those parties and eventually you're dating him. And then eventually we got emotionally wrapped up in each other and we were kind of dating each other with him. With him. Yeah. I mean, so you and him. Yep. And the more I dated him or emotionally gave myself to him, the queerer I got, like my, my identity just began to shift from who I am and more into who everyone around me was leading me to be and feeling like this was it. This just must be it kind of going with the flow sort of thing. And I didn't necessarily feel bullied or anything into it. I just thought this must be like this natural 
maturation of, of me becoming an adult. You know, I, I love people and I want to accept people for where they're at. And I want to be accepted for where I'm at. And at the time, that's what queer, queer culture was about. You know, you could do that. You could also, and then I matured in that identity, came a little bit more towards lesbianism and I became more like a queer identified woman that was bisexual like men and women getting more and more butch and getting more and more butch along the way. Yeah. Chopping my hair off and like really taking on like the exterior mask of what that looks like. And then even just being fine with being around a bunch of lesbians and being lumped into that grouping. And so I ended up just meeting Darren through our, our common friend in the circles, you know, you just get in these like circles and there's so many circles overlap and thought it was just, uh, coincidental for a while about how we just kept getting paired up but god's in the details and so he has a joke here yeah and she's dating this guy who's throwing these parties mind you i did at one time date him so he was bisexual and as rhoda was dating him and her business is growing i was counseling her on how to date him and counseling him on how to date her because I'd hang out with him sometimes. And, and so I'm trying to help them date each other. And she had a crisis in her business Mm -hmm. where she had gotten broken into and all her computers were stolen, right? Yeah. All the computers were stolen and the third party did not hold up their end of the responsibility. Yeah. The person that she was dating kind of blamed her for it. And Rhoda called me and and I just said, well, how can I help you? And uh-huh. what I didn't know is that that was kind of the key to her heart. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of when I think we kind of, Rhoda saw something more that, wait a minute, Darren's a good friend. Well, that, you were the nicest person to me in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just a casual, you know, friendship. I mean, that's all, we're an acquaintance, right? Every time we'd hang out and stuff at these parties, we'd, we'd get to know each other. But at this point, I'm talking to her and we have a, a relationship and a friendship mm-hmm. going. Um, I helped, you know, I got some spare computers that I had and I set them up for her and got her business going again. And then eventually Rhoda and him broke up and I had an opportunity. I had a friend invite me to go to a prayer meeting. And, you know, I was still a gay Christian, like I had a Christian identity still, and I was occasionally going to a safe, you know, friendly church (laughs) uh, on occasion. And my friend that invited me to the prayer meeting, I took him up on it and we went. And in the prayer service, he pulled me aside and says, do you think you're gay? I said, well, I've tried to pray the gay way. You know, I don't want to be gay, (laughs) like, but you know, I, th- I think God's made me gay, but maybe not. I don't know. And, and he said, well, let's pray, you know, that God would make it clear. And so I, I said, God, you know, if I'm not gay, then break me up with my boyfriend, because I wasn't about to break off that relationship. I finally had intimacy and, or what I thought was intimacy at the time and, a, you know, a solid relationship. And I'm like, you know, I can't break this off, but if I'm not supposed to be gay, then God will do it. And then my friend asked me this crazy question. He says, well, there was a woman, you know, who would you get married to? What woman would you marry? I was like, oh, well, it's a long shot (laughs) because this woman Rhoda, like, 
she's so cool and she loves the Lord and, but she's dating a guy that I broke up with and she knows I'm dating this other guy. And, you know, she kind of identifies as queer and <laughs> I, I don't know, but if God wants me to be straight, he'd work it out so that we could get married. Sounds like an episode of days of our lives. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I prayed, I said, God, you know, if I'm, if I'm not supposed to be gay, if, if I'm really straight, then work it out so that I can marry Rhoda. Cause I have any woman, that's who I want to marry. Praise Jesus. And was that genuine? Were you were feeling genuine that it was a genuine prayer? It was, you know, faith of a mustard seed, but it was there. Like, I was like, God, help me out here. I, I'm lost. I don't know what the truth is. You know, I just want to love and be loved. I want to give of myself and to be known and to love somebody and have them love me. Like, that's what I want. And the church had always told me, well, you're supposed to be a celibate Christian then, you know, because if you're gay, you're gay, but just be celibate. I'm like, no, <laughs> I got kicked out of the church because I said, look, I'm going to be a gay Christian because you're just reading the Bible wrong, because why would God create us gay and then tell us we can't love anybody? That just didn't make any sense to me at, you know, 19, 20 years old. But in that prayer meeting, I was like, God, I, I believed in God. I had known, you know, I'd come to know Christ when I was in 96 and I knew that God was real. Like I had been filled with the Holy spirit, but I just didn't have the knowledge of God, you know? And so, yeah, I prayed. And then the the day that I got home from that prayer meeting, my boyfriend broke up with me. So you know that you know that God answered your prayer. Yeah. And so I kind of rebelled at the time. And while this is happening, like, you know, I'm I'm acquaintance with Rhoda and I know her. And and then that thing happens with the business, you know. So I've broken up with my boyfriend and I'm dating other guys, you know, but then my relationship with Rhoda starts to grow. And after that business theft. I was at Rhoda's house one night and she was saying, you know, I want a guy that can, you know, just listen to me and love me and be kind and not be condescending and support me and not be afraid of a woman owning a business. Not be, Yeah. It just, it was all these things that she had this whole list about guys and I'm sitting there thinking, well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I could do all that. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I wonder why she doesn't see me. Oh, because, you know, I'm a gay guy and she's dating this other guy. And yeah, well, eventually. But you asked an important question after that, after you went through your head going, check, check, check. Because I didn't know you were checking off that stuff in your head. Yeah. But you remember the question that you asked me? What was that? He said, okay, so like, are you done with that guy? Like, are you totally done? Oh, that was the night that you broke up. Yeah. Well, it was that, like, yeah, it was yeah, right it was, around. It was right after you broke up that I was at your house and you were talking about that. Uh -huh. And yeah. And, and that's why I was wondering, why doesn't she see me? But I'm gay, right? Like that doesn't even make sense. Um, and I had waited the two weeks after you broke up. Yeah. And then I asked him if I could start dating her. You know, not just hanging out as friends, but if I could pursue as dating her. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't want anybody else to date her but you. So go ahead. So I got his blessing. And then I started hanging out with her, you know, pursuing her as a girlfriend. But as a gay identified guy, it was kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'll try this straight thing, you know, because I like her. <laughs> the whole sexual attraction thing, like, oh, she's beautiful. But it wasn't a sexual thing. It was more of a romantic thing you know, it was more of an emotional thing than, than a physical thing. And so on her birthday, 
I was about to take off to London mm-hmm. to go speak at a conference for technology. I was in banking technology at the time. And she is in the drive parking lot. No, no in no. the apartment. In the apartment. You had your luggage. You're about ready to go. And I was thinking, this is like a movie. I better like not. I could see the end of the movie. And I'm like, oh, no. Will you run after him in the terminal? He like he's going to go to London and he'll come back. And like, and I'm like, it has been like that movie six weeks or whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, where you could have had this happen, but you didn't. And something else happened. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, we just can't let this happen. <laughs> he's about to walk out this door, go to London. I mean, he's an international speaker. Are you crazy? He works at a bank. You're ironing his shirt. He's an international speaker. You're taking him to the airport so he can go speak at London about IT security. You know, he created a thumbprint system. I'm like, come on, Rhoda, let's go. And so then I like stood there staring at him and I said, so Darren, um, what are we doing? And I thought that was so funny. <laughs> That's what came out. And Darren looked at me like as if he had spoke my language my whole life and just said, well, Rhoda, would you want to be my girlfriend? And I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be your girlfriend. Are you kidding me? And I was just beside myself, happy. Yeah. And so she said that I could be her, we could date, you know, she took me up on it. And, and I just, we really started hitting it off. And then we went and I met her parents or her dad. And I secretly asked him if I could marry her. And then I proposed to her and, and I said, you know, I don't know where we're going to be in a year or two years, but wherever we're at, I want to be married to you. Will you marry me? (laughs) She was going through some really hard stuff with her business. Um, Mm -hmm. She had had a lot of money stolen from her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I want to go through this as her husband, not as her boyfriend. Yeah. When you told me that, I'm like, wow, where did this guy come from? Yeah. Wow. So she said yes. And then with by December uh, 11th is when we got Mm -hmm. married. Yeah. And, you know, I I can say with a clean conscience, I married her because I loved her. And I felt God called us to be married. And I got married as a gay identified man. Like she, I was addicted to gay porn coming into marriage and she knew what she was getting into. It was no secret. (laughs) But you seem to be, I mean, your message to me was always clear that you loved me more than you loved that and that you loved God more than you loved. Yeah. I, I wanted to grow in the Lord and commit myself Mm. to our marriage and believe that God would take care of what God needs to take care of, you know, that, God is God and he'll work in our lives. So yeah, we, we went on our honeymoon and consummated our marriage and, (laughs) you know, it, we now have two kids and this is year 17 or it'll be 17, I should say in December. Yeah. So it's, (laughs) it's been a journey of, of growing together and the Lord together. Yeah. We've had a lot of things to figure out, you know, but when you love each other, I mean, Darren, you probably, Darren's and my relationship has probably been the, the that loving relationship that I was looking for forever. Darren was just so much fun um, and kind-hearted and tender-hearted. And it's interesting because of our, of my abuse in the past, like if I would have married some macho man or whatever, it was probably just freak me out. But the Lord just knew exactly how to start us out, you know? 
And so, yeah, the, the qualities of being kind and caring and sensitive and not angry or abusive <laughs> or macho, you know, those things that I got labeled as gay. No, that was the way that God made me so that I could be a really good husband and a good father. Good point, brother. Good point. It, those aren't not masculine things. Right. To be kind and loving and to listen and to nice like characteristics. Christ-like, Christ-like characteristics. characteristics. Absolutely. You know, I was told that that was gay when I was a kid. And, you know, now after, you know, 16 years of marriage and having gone through several testings and fires, I know that God is good and and that he is sanctifying and is doing the work in us to make us more like Christ. And, and now I know who I am. Like I've had the counterfeit. I had so much counterfeit before. And now being in a marriage, you know, I was told that no girl would ever date me because I was this queer kid. And, you know, what a joke it was that I thought, you know, I could ask a girl out on a date. You know, I had a really bad, traumatic, mean girl experience when I asked an eighth grader to the dance. And so I was fearful of girls. Like I, I would be friends with girls, but never ask them to be on a date. And then in, in the male in the male world, I just felt like I was this other. I, I didn't fit in with the guys. But when I was in the gay community, oh my goodness, I had all the attention from the guys. I, any guy I wanted would give me his attention, you know? And so that just added to this gay identity. But now that I've been out of it, washed by the reading of the word and transformed in the Christ, now I can see before I was blind, now I have eyes to see what I went through. Mm -hmm. And I can see how I was abused by the enemy, how he used other people to sin against me Mm -hmm. and lie against me. And then Mm -hmm. I accepted those lies. Mm -hmm. You know, scripture says when you're a child, you think like a child. And what poor kid that doesn't have any parents that really edify them, when you get beat up by the boys and beat up by the girls, and they tell you that you're gay, well, as a kid, you're going to take on the identity of by, by those what, what people tell around you. And if your parents don't speak against those lies and edify you in Christ and edify you as God created you to sustain that which God put in you, of course, the enemy is going to steal that. Funny story, just a side thought. When I was eight or nine, I wanted a Cabbage Patch doll for Christmas because my sister and I would play house and all of our dolls were girls. And as the dad, I wanted a son. So I asked for a Cabbage Patch doll for Christmas or my birthday, and I didn't get one. And I cried my eyes out. My dad told me that, you know, boys don't play with dolls and stop crying and being a pansy, you know, being gay. Pansy was a 70s slur for gay. And he, my dad, you know, we're great. We're reconciled. It's not, it's all in the past. But at the time he didn't understand that my motivation to have a Cabbage Patch doll wasn't because I was a girl, but it was because I was a guy and I wanted a son as a dad. That's all that it was in my heart. It wasn't some disorder of thinking I'm a girl and playing with dolls. And, and so I know that now I've put away my childish thinking And Jesus has walked me through a healing journey of going back to these trauma points and these lies and accusations and sins against me and has brought them up and says, this is not true. You know, your heart of being a father and wanting a son, you were shamed for that. And that was not God's plan. And so he says, Darren, you are a father. 
you will have a son. And, and now as a dad with Sebastian as my son, I'm fulfilled. What Satan wanted to steal from me, Jesus restored. Amen. You got the real deal now, brother. Not the counterfeit anymore, huh? And, and when they say that I would never get married or have a wife, you know, that I'd just be gay the rest of my life because that's the way I was born and I'd just be celibate. Well, even the church had it wrong. No, I'm not called to be celibate, you know, and, and here I am married to the best woman ever. <laughs> and, Thanks. and, and I've, I've been given, I, God gave me that desire as a kid to get married and have a wife and kids. Satan stole it. Jesus took back what was stolen, and restored it to me. You know, and now I'm living in 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 a life that God destined for me. And now, even with the men, um, I've had male bonding, brotherhood, like iron sharpening iron. David and Jonathan, I'm sorry, is not a gay story. It is brothers going to war. It is brothers honoring each other. And what having having had that relationship in several brothers. Protecting um, your life, protecting my life, leading mm-hmm. me in Christ, coming alongside of me and battling, you know, the enemy in our lives together, praying in faith mm-hmm. for our spouses, for our church, and just growing in Christ together. Having that, now I see the counterfeit that was having that boyfriend, and and then being healed of my body shaming and the envy of someone of this male figure that I thought I could never have. You know, I had a brother take me to the gym and I I connected to my body and I was affirmed as a man in the gym by other guys. Mm -hmm. And that did something. It broke off that feeling like I was this other type of man that didn't qualify. You know, I in gym class, I was the last kid. I didn't get picked. The last team got stuck with me. And so every gym class, it was a shame experience for me. Well, now I know that, you know, I am the Lord's. He chose me. Amen. You know, I don't need to be chosen by a team. I'm chosen by Jesus. And, and I'm, married, I'm married to my wife and I have my brother relationships. And so now I see men, you know, the gay community just doesn't get it. They're like, oh, you're still gay, Darren. Or you're just, you know, you've internalized your homophobia or you were never really gay. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> Jesus healed my mind. Mm -hmm. He took the desire of sodomy away. Mm -hmm. When I look at men with, you know, really good bodies, I'm like, he's doing a good workout. (laughs) And I know how much work that takes. I know I have to practically puke your guts out in the gym to look like that. And it just, I don't care about that anymore. (laughs) And, and I know that I'm a man, I have a body and I'm very well with my wife, you know, Mm -hmm. And so when I see another man, I see God's creation and and I'm happy for that man, but I don't want to sodomize him. I know that that's not love. It's unbecoming. It's humiliating. It's disgusting. Like the living in a gay lifestyle for me just to receive love. I just wanted to be loved so bad that I would, I would let a man sodomize me and, and do things that harm my body. And I would, I gaslit myself into thinking that that was love. And it's not love. It's 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 wanting to be needed and wanting to be loved. That's a natural desire. It's a desire. It's a need. But when you have it as God ordained it, sex with a with your spouse, or brotherhood with with the same sex or sisterhood mm-hmm. in the case of women, 
and you have that close, intimate friendship and prayer, and as God outlines it, it's not unbecoming, it's actually edifying. And so I've had this healthy relationship for decades or for a decade. And, and I know, I know what the counterfeit is now. And now I'm like, I don't want to harm and, and emasculate a man. And, you know, or even imagine that or even, yeah, that was just pornography has a lot about your imagination. Yeah. The pornography is, is a self-destructive behavior that I was in for a long time. And actually that led me to the end of myself. And, and through that, I learned that a lot of my Christianity was performance, trying to pray the gay away. It was self-righteousness. Well, God will give me the grace to not sin again, the power to not sin rather than the, I believe that grace isn't there to help you to not sin though that it's true, but that's not the end of it. The The end of it is the transformation of my mind and my heart to be like Christ, which is to love people as Christ does and to do the will of the Father. Like that's where my heart and my mind is at. And it's happened through the power of the Holy Spirit and the reading of the word. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's totally to the blind, to the LGBT community. They don't get it. They can't get it. It's darkness. It's foolishness. They can't comprehend the light. But to those who know Jesus, it's the power of transformation. I've been made holy in Christ. Like he did the work. And for 20 years, even before, you know, when I was doing that street ministry and I put the gay on the shelf, I was trying to pray the gay away. God, give me the strength to not sin. But it wasn't until I realized I could not not sin. Like I am a wretched sinner and there's no amount of self-righteousness that will get me into the purity club, <laughs> that will get me in the, into the holy club. Right. Can't do it. And, and I was taught in my church, just repent and try again. You know, just ask God to give you strength. But guess what? In my weakness, that's when he's strong. I, if I'm asking for strength in myself, it doesn't work. And so I said, after I cheated on Rhoda because of my porn addiction, I said, God, my Christianity isn't working. I know that you are good. You definitely have proved yourself faithful and good. And your word is true. But the Christianity that I've had for 20 years isn't working. And that's when God in scripture and through several books leading me to scripture, I realized I was under false teaching about, I had cheap grace and self-righteousness and God after over a year delivered me of that he set me free cold turkeyed me of porn because the porn was poisoning the living well Mm -hmm. of Jesus the living waters and then once the he shut the porn off and I submitted to that then he walked me through the healing experiences Mm -hmm. with the peer wounds with the guys the peer wounds with the girls my mother wound my father wound my church wound the lies that I believed about myself, the lies that I believed about women and men, it all, Jesus washed me clean. Then one day um, I came to the understand that I was set free of same-sex attraction. Like that was not in my, in my heart anymore or in my mind. God had taken that heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh. It was totally changed. And that is the transforming power of Jesus. Jesus did a there's nobody that gets any testimony except Jesus in this. <laughs> He's the one that did it. Amen. So, yep. Thank you, Lord. 
Amen. Powerful, powerful testimony, guys. I love something you said, Rhoda. I love what you said because it's so cliche in the world and it's it's almost a world model to say the devil is in the details when it comes to contracts in business, you know? The fine print, right? Read the fine print. The devil is in the details. But there's something that you said. You said God is in the details. Amen. When you belong to Christ, the sovereignty of God is in your life, even while you're in disobedience. Amen. Even while you're struggling. And this reminds me so much of the life of Samson. When you see Samson's life and it's in shambles, Samson is trying to sleep with the enemy. He's sleeping with the enemy, right? And then... He even gets his parents to break the law of God by giving them honey that he gets from a dead carcass. Right. But then there's something so powerful in, in the book of Judges where it says, but this was from the Lord. Uh-huh. And that has always astounded me. I'm like, this was from the Lord? Wait a minute. How did you let Samson get away with these things? Because even though the devil was outwardly working in what Samson was doing, God, nonetheless, was in overall control through his sovereignty of what was going on in Samson's life. Up to a certain limit, he allows the devil to do things to us, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all within his boundaries. Amen. And I love what you say because I see how God was interweaving your lives Even while you guys were on your own path, doing things your own way, even while you were experiencing, I think, a true dilemma that a lot of Christians experience, who there's a huge discrepancy between the knowledge of his word and knowing what the scripture says and the power of his word to actually live out what the scripture says. And so many believers are in that dilemma. And especially when you have the enemy who knows they're experiencing this dilemma. And instead of using these preachers to faithfully preach the power of the gospel, power, they preach the knowledge of the gospel, but they don't believe the power of the gospel somehow as if the power of the gospel was limited to the first century Christians. Like, oh, only the first century experienced this manifestation of radical transformation. Only to them does it apply this word ye some. Not to us anymore. To us, you got to kind of, you know, battle with real world life now. And what is that real world life? That Christ wants you to be a, a, a gay identified Christian who is celibate for the rest of your life. Because you will never really truly be transformed. Right. And to me, that's not the power of the gospel. That's no. a very limited gospel that's being preached. When I see the scripture, Paul says, I am not ashamed. And what does he say? Not of the knowledge of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is not just the knowledge of God. It is the power of God unto what? Salvation. Salvation from what? From this sinful state, this incapacity to live a holy life. Because holiness is not produced in us. We get to partake of God's holiness. I love what you said, Darren, when you finally are at the end of yourself and you recognize, Lord, I can't generate this holiness myself. There's nothing that I can do to change this. I am a wretched man. But then you discover that that power and that holiness is ours. It's on the, on our father's table. Right. And when we recognize our dependency on our father, 
He is the one who says, I now allow you through adoption to call me daddy, to say, father, Abba, father. And now that you are my son, you get to partake of my table. And I love what's on his table. What you were saying, Darren, unfortunately, there is this counterfeit of what it is to be a man in the world Mm -hmm. where we associate certain traits, certain characteristics with men. And then men that display this gentleness, kindness and all this stuff, we call them gay. Or like you said, pansies, right? In Mexico, they do that so much in Latin culture, man. And unfortunately, it gets to the point where where you're older, you can't even hug your grandpa. Right. Oh, your grandpa's going to give you a side hug. That's what my grandfather used to do. Because real men don't hug. Real men can't show that kind of love to each other. So when I converted and I saw, Jesus says he loves his disciples. And to be honest with you guys, even the notion and the idea of me saying, I love you, Jesus, still had this bit of confusion in it. Mm. Like, wait a minute, how could a a man say to another man, he loves him. Mm. But in Christ, I learned and I'm like, man, Lord, that's camaraderie. That's love that this world does not know. And this world confuses men who seek this camaraderie who seek this fellowship. And I love what you said, Darren, about that counterfeit because the devil doesn't want us to have these true deep relationships with other males. So he confuses them, right? And even in schools now, these little boys that seek this camaraderie as children, we seek it. But the world sees it and says, oh, you guys are gay. And if a girl has that camaraderie now with another girl, you're a lesbian. And I'm like, no, that's true. Unity, that's true love in Christ. When Jesus says that he prays that we are one with one another, the way he is one with the Father. And when we attain that unity, now we're one in in each other with Christ. And I love what you said, Darren, because I think as a church, we need to expose that lie of Satan that confuses these poor men and these young men making them think they can't have these kind of attributes or these kind of characteristics. It reminds me of a bumper sticker from the 90s. Real men love Jesus. Yeah. And I'm like, it's so powerful what the Lord has done in your lives. And it's so powerful that now you both experience that power of transformation that is offered to us through the word of God, Darren and Rhoda. And I, I love to see how the Lord has worked in your lives and how that is the message. That's the testimony of being transformed by the power of the word of God. Holy transformed. And I praise God for that. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming on and for sharing with us your powerful testimony. It's amazing. And in a little bit, I'll ask you how everybody can get connected to your ministries and a little bit more about your ministries so they can also hear you speak and they can also have you come to help train their churches. While we have you here giving us all this insight and all the, and sharing this, this powerful testimony, I wanted to ask a little bit more insight. The world tells us they, they're trying to understand where somebody takes on this idea that they're gay and the world answers it with, well, you're born that way. Mm-hmm. My field, the therapeutic field, agrees with that and certainly doesn't want to even dive into challenging other, it or doesn't even want to dive into any other possibilities. You've given us some insight. I wanted to ask a little bit more about 
what you feel in regards to our family of origin stuff, the stuff where we grew up with, the ways that went well and things that didn't go so well, our family life, our relationships. And also there are so many question marks in regards to abuse and how that interplays here. Do you have anything that you can add to that conversation in regards to Mm -hmm. what leads somebody to this gay lifestyle or whether it is something that we're born with? Um, Yeah, I, I don't believe that we're born gay. I believe that God create us for procreation for his glory (laughs) and that the enemy comes to twist that and steal that from people. Um, And if you want to talk about family of origin and stuff, you know, I grew up as a cultural Christian, but not by any fruit of the Christian faith. And so uh, if we look at, you know, what those girls did to me, I went to pick up an eighth grader. I was in seventh grade. I walked to her house to go to the dance and her and her two girlfriends cornered me, literally cornered me surrounded me and told and just berated me for who knows how long. And then I went home crying and I threw myself on my stepmother's lap and she said, I don't want to hear it. Go to your room. And so because she didn't speak against what they did, I took it as affirmation that they must be right. And so your brain, when you have trauma, will repair itself and try to come up with an explanation. Why were they being mean? Because people aren't mean except for a reason. And the reason was, is that no girl would ever date me because I'm queer. And my stepmom, she didn't speak against it. So it must be true. So that's one component. There's many components. The, you know, I already told you being the last one picked in gym class, but then being told that I kick like a girl, swing like a girl, throw a ball like a girl. In the gym class, I was abused by a boy. We got into the corner of the locker room and we, he taught me things that I, that I wouldn't have done had he not been groomed by gay people, by some gay man somewhere in his life. You know, that was middle school. Um, So probably seventh grade or eighth grade. And in the things that he taught me, I say that he was groomed because the words that he used and the things that we did, I realize now having lived in the gay lifestyle, that that was very much gay behavior. So I was groomed into it. I was beat into it. My, I got my stepmother herself totally emasculated me and attacked me just like those girls did. She cornered me and she berated me for a long time. I yelled at her and told her to shut up and she can't talk to me like that. And she goes, well, you just wait until your father gets home. And I said, no, you wait until dad gets home because he's not going to allow you to Mm -hmm. do this to me. Well, then she sends me into my room and I wait for my dad to come home. And then he, he comes in the room and tells me, you know, well, you're not allowed to backtalk your mother. You need to show her respect. I'm like, well, she said this and she said this. And, you know, she, she, and he's like, it doesn't matter. You have to show respect to your mother. And that was the day that my dad died to me as the superhero. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad knew everything and could do anything. And he knew the answer to everything. But I had a spirit of conviction when she told me, you wait until your dad comes home. I had a lightning bolt hit me of like, no, you wait until dad gets home because he's the man of justice and he knows that this is wrong and he'll say something. But then he didn't. And so I was completely emasculated because he sided with her and he didn't know better, you know, at the time of what was going on and what that would do to me. And so then I have a father wound. And, you know, the body shaming, when I did go in the shower, I hit, 
I had puberty later than the other guys. And I was a scrawny little stick, you know, and here when, when we went to gym and we had to do weights, I couldn't even lift the bar, you know, that's 45 pounds. I couldn't even do the 45 pounds. It was so embarrassing. And I was embarrassed in, in the locker rooms. I felt like I didn't have a, a boy's pubescent body. Like, you know, there's something wrong with me. And so, yeah, there's all these developmental things, which I just call where hooks into the gay identity. And then, you know, going through high school, I, I was still trying to date girls, even though it didn't really work out. And, you know, my, my, the clique of guys that I was in, I was the brunt of all the jokes. You know, they would beat me up and pull pranks on me and and they would get their kicks and giggles from how they could hurt me, mm. you know. And so I didn't even think like I was one of the guys, you know, I was just there to entertain guys, you know. Well, let's see if we can get Darren to cry because he's so gay, you know, like that's how it felt in high school. And yeah, we didn't have P flag or the gay straight alliance or any gay organizations in small town Minnesota in 95 and 96. I guess that didn't come until 97. <laughs> and so I was bullied. And and my best friend, he would tell me, yeah, people keep asking if you're gay. And I'm like, I keep telling him you're not gay. I'm like, I'm not gay. You know, I didn't really have a gay identity. And it was my senior year that the internet came out and I started looking at pictures of guys. And then Satan told me if I did that and what I learned in the gym class back in eighth grade, I put those two together, then I would become like them. And then I wouldn't be this geeky nerd, you know? I think you mentioned before that you, and I wonder if this is what, is what you mean, is that you had confused liking them for wanting to be like them. Did I get that correct? Yeah, I, yeah, I want to be like them, you know, it, because I felt like I was the other, like I was this broken boy that could never be like them. And, you know, I, I told uh, someone who's been in this therapy space with people who are struggling and I told her about how Satan had tricked me into pleasuring myself to pictures of men. And then I would become like them, like by some magical thing. <laughs> and she was like, Darren, I can't tell you how many guys have have had that same thing. That's them into pornography, you know, into that addiction. When I was doing that, I was not sexually attracted to men at that time, but that behavior plus everything else. And then you know, when people are telling you you're gay and then you go from small town, Minnesota to the Twin Cities <laughs> and guys start hitting on you mm -hmm. and you're like, wait a minute, guys actually do want to be my friends and they want more than to just make me the brunt of the jokes, you know, and like, oh, and these guys talk and they emotionally connect. I'm like, wow, this is like who I am. Mm -hmm. Like finally a guy that gets it. Oh, well, they want to sodomize me, but you know, they'll teach me how that works and how to do it safely. And, you know, they'll groom me into it. <laughs> I mean, I look at it in hindsight, I was groomed into the gay lifestyle. Had I connected with like the brothers that I have now and experienced intimacy and prayer time where you do cry your eyes out sometimes and you are, you do show your weakness to another brother you know, because that that's a safe place to do that. But when these guys that were gay identified came into my life and started showing me what male bonding is, but then adding a sexual nature to it. I was a sucker for it. And in Romans, you know, coming out and when people say, oh, I came out and I felt like this whole thing just lifted off my shoulders. And I'm, you know, that, well, that's Romans six, when it says that you're set free of righteousness, 
Hmm. The conviction that that is disordered and not what God wants for you. Mm -hmm. Like when you come out and then you just accept that you're gay, you don't have to deal with all the things that God has written on our hearts. It's, it's, it's a hardening actually. Mm -hmm. And so that lifting is the, the conviction of the Holy spirit lifting. And, and then when scripture says that God turned him over to do things, that's the turning over moment coming out as gay or coming out as the opposite gender and coming out with a new name and putting that old identity to death. That is a baptism into a new life. They literally see it as being born again as a different gender. So these are all counterfeits that have their place in Christianity of baptism and mm -hmm. of brotherly love and of marital love and saying that sodomy, you know, penis and anus is not penis and vagina. I'm sorry. What is natural to mankind between complementary sexes, you, you just you're turned over and you, you get darker and darker and darker. And then in the gay lifestyle, once sodomy gets old, then you start getting into kink and you know, what's your fetish and what, what gets you to the next level. And it eventually can lead to death. I mean, if you really go all the way, because then you're into S and M and, and you're into bondage and then you're into drugs. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I at I least had the fear stuff. of drugs. You know, <laughs> I grew up in the dare, you know, dare to keep kids off drugs. You know, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Like I was terrified of drugs. I didn't have the desire. So I didn't go down that route, the counterfeit and living that and having that righteousness, the call to live with God come off of you. Yeah. It's very real. I became like them in the wrong way. I, I gave over to lust and really that's what it was. It was lust. Guys. Well, thank you so much for that powerful testimony of of the efficacy of God's word in your lives and the transforming power of the gospel. We praise God for that. I, I do think it would be an honor to God as well. And, and to the audience, if we had a follow-up segment, you know, maybe a part two where we could answer maybe some theological questions, biblical questions that people have concerning this subject. Yes. Especially now with the popularity of LGBT, even within the church and, mm -hmm. and, government sponsorships of, for example, puberty blockers and transitioning even of youth, mm. transgenderism, and all these ideologies that have crept into the church. I think a segment addressing these issues would be amazing for the audience and for a lot of believers out there who probably have the wrong information on this or, or don't have the full biblical counsel on it, Darren. Yeah. 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 Let's do it. That's a great idea. So it's definitely needed. It'd be a blessing to share that stuff with you guys. Yep. It, it's such a timely message, especially right now, brother. There yeah, is so much is. going on in the school districts. There is so much going on in the yep. churches right now that I think it is a timely message. It really There's is. There's a lot more behind this talking about the truth and knowledge of God and the counterfeits that Satan has put in, in the place. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you find Jesus, you find life. He is not death. Amen. And we have the, ver the source of virtue. We have the source of truth in the word. God created us to procreate. And we can have biblical identities 
And, and if we affirm our children as God created them, we're preserving their pro, their procreative ability and, and desires. The enemy is coming to steal those desires and replace them with counterfeits and to bully them out of what God has created them to do. We don't achieve heterosexuality as a gay person doesn't achieve it. It's restored to them. Heterosexuality and homosexuality is a worldly concept. Mm -hmm. Scripture tells us that we think and speak in spiritual words that are spiritually discerned. Mm -hmm. The world can't even comprehend the truth of God, the knowledge of God. Only the believer can because it's revealed by the spirit, which they aren't in. And so I don't, we, we don't even need to argue heterosexuality and homosexuality because those are worldly terms. It's whether or not what God created us to be is going to be preserved or if we're going to walk away from the glory that God's given us as image bearers. Mm. Our, you know, it's all there in scripture. It's in Romans. It's in Corinthians. And, you know, in Paul's writing and Jesus' words that in the spirit where we're transformed into a new creation but that creation is as God willed, which is restoring us from sin and death. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a whole other thing we could talk about. <laughs> well, I think we will have lots and lots of questions for our next episode. And we really thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your story and for being genuine and for all the work that you are doing in the community, utilizing your story, utilizing how God transformed you and answering the call that God has given you. So Along those lines, can you tell us more about your ministry before your ministries, I should say? Yeah, our overarching ministry is called madefreeministries.com, madefreeministries.com spelled out. And what comprises the Mel family, Rhoda and I, is the work that God has done to transform our lives to be made like Jesus. And we give God the glory with Made Free Ministries. When it comes to outward interactions with the world, and contending for the faith and exposing the work of the enemy in the public sphere. That's where I'm president of Voice of the Voiceless. Mm -hmm. So that website is voiceofvoiceless.info. But again, this is all explained on madefreeministries.com. And then our, our Christian facing to our own family, right? To the church, which is equipping the, the church and the saints for the work of ministry. And then helping the families and the individuals who are struggling struggling get through it to the truth and to give them the hope and the faith to continue to follow Jesus. That's Agape First Ministries. Uh, that's agapefirstministries.org. And so that's that's where we're equipping the church. So inward facing. But if they go to the one website, they can get to both of those. Yep. Right? So we just say madefreeministries.com and then it explains everything from there. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you so much. Now, if we jump into our scripture section now, do you have any scriptures that you brought today to that pertain to what we discussed? Yep. Yeah. First Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And it's really important that we're not just talking about scripture. We're not talking about God. We're not talking about Jesus, but we are living in the power of Jesus. Amen. Grace is the power of God to transform us into the image of Christ. And then Ephesians 2.10, that God has prepared works. Uh, good works for us from the beginning of time in Christ Jesus. That 
the work that we're doing is not our own. He's prepared it. So all we have to do is be obedient. When the scripture says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, it is because he's prepared the work for us to do. We don't have to strive. We accept his spirit and his his teaching and his guidance, and we walk through it. And we know that if we are walking in his works, that even when something comes up that feels challenging or it's a test of the Lord, it's for our edification. It's for our growth and to become made like Christ, that God corrects those that he loves. He chastens those that he loves, but he loves us. And then Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work out for good to those who are called according to his purposes. And that in Christ, there's no, well, (laughs) there's also no weapon formed against us that can prosper. None, period. And it's true. We are protected by God and he goes before us. He is sovereign. He's preparing the work. We don't have to know what the end game is, except that we do what God tells us to do and say what he tells us to say. Rhoda, what did you want to add? I just wanted to emphasize the beginning of the scripture that Darren mentioned from Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That scripture just means a lot to me that it's, we are his workmanship. It reminds me so much that the Bible, my, my faith in him, all that has nothing to do with me. This is all about him. It's his Bible. It's his word. It's his way. It's his gifts of the spirit. You know, it's his sovereignty and he created us to glorify him, that we would walk in his good works. Amen. Thank you for that. The scriptures that I brought today, or one of them is one of my favorites, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That includes anyone and everyone that chooses to follow Christ. We are all made anew, fresh start, same, same plane here. Amen. The second one I brought was first Thessalonians five twenty three to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely mm. and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's holy mm. transformed. There you go. Holy transformed. Holy transformed. <laughs> And the scripture that I have is Romans, which I did quote earlier is Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And also Psalms 19 is one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 19, 19, 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, transforming the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And I thank God for the efficacy of his word, right? That his word can truly transform us. And I think the pattern that I definitely observe in your lives is how God with his word and and by you guys being faithful to God's word, 
I can see this transformation in your lives and I can see the power of his word demonstrated in your lives. And I praise God for that. Praise the Lord. (laughs) He's worthy. If there is one takeaway that you would want everybody to take away from our discussion today, what would that be? For, for me, the takeaway would be that Jesus is faithful. He is who he says he is and he does what he says he does. And that my prayer for those who are listening would be that their faith would grow and, and their trust in the Lord to step out and believe that it's not just words on, on, in the Bible, but that Jesus, the word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to expose the intents and motivations of the heart. And that if you let Jesus have your heart and do surgery and sanctify you, it may hurt and you may feel it, but he's a good Lord. He's a good savior. He's a good counselor. He's a great shepherd. And you will not go wrong following Jesus of the Bible. Amen, brother. Thank you for that. Wow. Um, I'm getting misty-eyed over here. (laughs) Um, You know, the Lord, the Bible says that a broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not despise. You don't have to have this figured out or understand it at all. But if we just come before Jesus broken and contrite, you can ask him to create in you a clean heart. And he will renew a right spirit within you. And I love how David's pleading with Jesus in the psalm. He's saying, cast me not away from your presence. It's by God's presence. He is our life and our breath. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Amen, sister. It's cast me not away from your presence, O God, and renew, he asks again, a right spirit within me. So the Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace and hum, you know, to the humble. And the Bible says, so draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And so whether you've been growing up in religion or just lost in general, he is the good shepherd. And many people try to come to Jesus in different ways, but the only way to come to him is through repentance. And the only way you get to repentance is to just admit, you know, through being a broken and contrite heart. And he will respond. And you will get to receive Jesus into your heart, you know, receive him as your Lord and Savior. And he will walk you in ways of everlasting life. I mean, apart from that, there's no other way. Amen, Rhoda. Those beautiful words. Praise the Lord. Well, thanks again, Darren and Rhoda Mel, for joining us today. And thank you also to our listeners and to our viewers for tuning in today and for listening to this podcast episode, I told you, you weren't going to miss, you weren't going to want to miss even a minute. And now you're going to have even more minutes for our next one where we get to ask more questions. If you enjoyed today's show and got benefit out of it, don't forget to give us a like, to check us out on social media and to subscribe to our channel and to our podcast platforms. We are on all major podcast platforms. You can check us out there and also, don't forget, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. So stay in touch and don't, so that you don't miss anything. All right, Darren and Rhoda, can you pray us out, please? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you desire that none should perish, but all come to repentance, and that your mercies are new every day. 
that, that you gave us Jesus as um, a, the offering for our sins and that you are a good father, that Jesus is a good Lord who is trustworthy and is faithful. And Lord, I pray for those people who are struggling or fearful around this LGBT issue, Lord, that um, that you would that you would draw them close, that you would um, give them the knowledge of who your Son is, that you would grant them repentance and come alongside the hearts that are looking for hope and faith um, for healing, to know you and to uh, to draw close to you. Lord, you don't turn away those um, who with a with a broken and contrite heart, but you draw near to them. Lord, we pray that um, nobody will be lost that you called to yourself. That's what your word says. So we thank you for your word and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, until next time. Ciao. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye.